Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Sons of Sequoia Bop podcast, broadcasting live from Wheat Ridge, Colorado, the home of the champions. It is Monday, and as we often do on Mondays, we are going to discuss a movie that we have seen over the weekend. That movie, of course, is called Cryptopia, Bitcoin, Blockchains, and the Future of the Internet. How are you this morning, Mikey? I'm doing really very well here. Beautiful day in Colorado, uh, June the 7th, 2021. Mm-hmm. How are you doing today? This, how, how, how are you doing this morning, uh, David? I'm doing good. I woke up very early. I was trying to find this movie organizes the things that Bitcoin can be into a very internet-friendly numbered list. However, I couldn't find the frame of the movie where that list is displayed. I was trying to find it so I could just screenshot it and then we could use that as a template. I know that I probably should have made a series of notes about what the things that Bitcoin are and can be and how Bitcoin can be a, a currency. It can be an asset, like a store of value. You can use the blockchain as a replacement for traditional databases and then how applications built on the blockchain may be able to change the internet. That was the I would say the the thrust of the things that can be done, correct? Correct. Yeah. So that those are the four major ones or the three major ones. That's why it's called uh, if we go back to the thumbnail here, Bitcoin blockchains and the future of the internet. Bitcoin mm-hmm. is sort of cash slash store of value. Blockchains is the potential for it to replace traditional databases as decentralized uh, self-validating systems. And then the future of the internet is using that sort of blockchain technology to revolutionize trust and confirmation across the broader internet. So those were the three sections of the movie. The unfortunate thing is that each section he had an internet-friendly like 10 bullet points of why, and I just I couldn't find those that frame of the movie where he says that. But hey, we watched it just last night, so we have a pretty good idea of what to talk about, don't you think? <laughs> uh, well, I've, uh, I'll be I'll be honest here. Uh, I think you have a much better idea than I do. Uh, I don't un- really understand it totally. I kind of get the gist of it, but uh, it's pretty uh, hard to wrap my head around because. Uh, uh, like Bitcoin, I think uh, that's the broader field of cryptocurrency. And so you really have to have a good idea of currency uh, and not necessarily what it is, but the, the concept around currency and how the cryptocurrency and currency kind of go together. Mm-hmm. And, 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 bit, and blockchain, uh, I think uh, you have to understand supply chains. I mean, uh, not supply chains. You have to understand uh, databases mm-hmm. uh, because uh, the database can do the same thing as a as a blockchain, but a blockchain could do more than a database. And so, when do you use when do you use a database? When do you use a, a blockchain? And then the internet is just communication, but a communication in a in a more uh, sophisticated manner, where the communication you can send digital information. It's not just it's not just analog. So it, it's uh, again, uh, it's uh, complicated, but because it's complicated, it's very, very interesting. Yes. And what I came away with that, what we saw last night, that movie, was that this is not going away, and it's not what it's going to be. It's like anything else. It, it's it's not going away, but it's going to change. 
and it's going to start morphing and changing. And I think to understand the way it is today uh, is extremely important to understand what it's going to be tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I think you understood better than I did. Uh, uh, but I found I found it fascinating. Oh, I think that um, a lot of it when a new technology comes out, is just your familiarity or how comfortable you can be with. OK, this is this is a thing. And let's accept it for what it is, but realize it's going to be constantly changing. I think trying to wrap your head around what it is, uh, by the time you wrap your head around the totality of it, it'll be something different altogether. You know, if you, right. if you ask someone That's in true. 2002, what's a search engine? They'd say, oh, Yahoo. Yahoo's the biggest search engine. Now Yahoo basically doesn't even exist anymore, you know? Um, uh -huh. So uh, the internet has progressed, and we went from the web, which was sort of this wild, wild west where anyone can post whatever they want onto the internet, to web 2.0, which was really social media and like specific hubs of the internet, your Amazons, your Googles, your Facebooks of the world, sort of being the lens through which you see the internet. And now these blockchain evangelists are talking about how instead of having one central hub where you go through, and that's the lens of the internet, you have a decentralized hub, and that'll be Web 3.0. Now, whether or not a decentralized hub can compete with the technologies that Google and Amazon and Apple and Facebook have brought into our lives remains to be seen, but it's kind of nice to know that there may be some competition for that, you know, four or five companies knowing more about you than you know about yourself. That's uh, somewhat heartening. Well, but then I I couldn't help but also think about when you have 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, going to appeal to? Mm -hmm. Who's going to adopt those? And it may not be everybody in the whole world, but uh, every but there there would be people around the world adopting it. Uh, and so I kept thinking of uh, different types of industries, uh, different types of uh, governments, different types of cultures, uh, communities. Uh, who's going to be adopting? Uh, uh, the, the the different types of uh, uh, blockchain uh, for security and uh, there are there are some uh, uh, characteristics of blockchain you need to understand and once you understand them and what they will do for you then people will adopt it and so it's it was fascinating me to try to think about all the different applications uh, and then in the in the movie it did come up says oh yeah it's being applied here 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 and so that's what I was thinking. But I wouldn't know how to do it. But uh, I mean, not right now, but I guess people could learn. Mm -hmm. And like in the movie, uh, one of the guys said, he says, you know, I, I just came home. I I didn't go to my work and I just spent, what do you say, two or three days just learning about blockchain. Yeah, he found, he found out that Bitcoin was a thing and he sort of became obsessed. He looked into it so long that he wound up in the hospital. So yeah. I mean, he's uh, he was passionate about it. that. Was the guy that owns Bitcoin.com, right? I believe. I so. Yeah, Bit.com. Yeah. Okay, so. Um, I wanted to share something, but it's longer than I thought, and I haven't prepped it. But I'll show you real quick. Why not? Okay. I'll show you. Um, I'm not going to play it all because it's 20 minutes. But I remember this. I saw this years ago, 14 years ago. TED Talk, Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world, did a TED Talk. 
At the time, he was CEO of Amazon.com, which was an online bookseller. Uh huh. Um, and I mean, obviously, this exists. You can find it on Ted's YouTube channel. I'm not going to. I'm not going to play it because I don't know where in the video it is, and it's too long. But in his TED talk, he says the internet's compared to a gold rush, but I don't think it's a gold rush. I think the internet is like the advent of electricity. In the advent of electricity, the killer app that first came out, sort of like when the internet came out, the killer app that came out was the search engine. You could find information across this vast ocean of information with a search engine. You could go and, well, the, the killer app for electricity was the light bulb. If you had AC electricity in your home, one of the first things you would do was install electric lighting. Now, when you think about all the things that electricity is capable of, the light bulb was the first thing, but the next thing you had was the washing machine. And then he tells this anecdote about how the first washing machine was this giant machine, and in its first year, it cost the equivalent today of $25,000-$30,000 in the <laughs> dollars of the time. And it killed seven people because it was so violent and dangerous. Because, um, you know, you're dealing with electricity and water. And so it had to be right. run outside. Uh, and so it's like, so, you know, a washing machine, it kills seven people, even though you spent $50,000 on it. And do you just abandon the idea of a washing machine? No, you refine the washing machine. Now, you know, the washing machines in everyone's home, uh, along with light bulbs, along with computers and televisions and, and everything else that runs on electricity. I think right now, and his analogy 14 years ago was, if you look at the internet, it's still, you know, some of these apps in 2007, he's saying, is they're like the washing machine. Like Facebook, I think, in 2007 could very much be compared to the washing machine. It goes in, it fundamentally changes the way people behave, it fundamentally changes the nature of politics and communication, and it's sort of running off the rails on a crazy train. And yet, do you abandon the idea of social media? Because the first social media company to rise to prominence did not really have a handle on the dangers? Or do you refine it and make it better and try to have it improve people's lives? And I think that's an analogy for, well, the web, of course, and then web 2.0, which is social media, and then web 3.0, which will be blockchain. And I think the movie did a good job, Cryptopia, of explaining, you know, when the internet came out, people said the same thing about the internet that they're saying about blockchain-based technologies. It's a hub for scammers and, and bad actors, and it's true. It is a hub for scammers and bad actors. But does that mean you throw the baby out with the bathwater? No. <laughs> <laughs> well put, David. That's exactly right. I, and when things happen, uh, I, I guess that's what I mean by they're not going away. Uh, like electricity. How much do we use electricity today? Mm -hmm. uh, we're still finding new applications of electricity. And do you think there, we're still going to be finding new applications of blockchain or blockchain type technology in the future? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think we'll never, it's never ending. The internet, blockchain, and even currency, even cryptocurrency or digital currency, it's, it's, it's just going to keep, keep evolving and keep evolving. 
that's why uh, you learn as much as you can about new things coming coming out because uh, uh, it's cre- it's adding to the knowledge base of mm-hmm. our, our of humanity, uh, and it's not going to go away. Humans can take things and 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 mold them and remake them into something uh, more valuable. Mm-hmm. So um, you're a little uh, off frame. Could you just adjust your camera a little bit? It's triggering me. Other way. Good, good, good. Is good? <laughs> yeah, it's good. You're sort of on the side of the frame. Yeah, and it, uh, I don't know, maybe it's my OCD. I'm a little triggered. <laughs> so I think we can go through, we can go back to the thumbnail here. Bitcoin, blockchains, and the future of the internet. They chose Bitcoin, I think, just because... That's what people think of a lot of times when they think of cryptocurrency is Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Now, this is why I think it gets confusing. Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, is the first use of blockchain. Blockchain can have use aside from cryptocurrency. And you can build applications on top of blockchains that sort of change the way that the internet runs. So I'm interested in, uh, I think PewDiePie signed an exclusive contract with YouTube to stream on YouTube. But prior to that, PewDiePie, for those who don't know, is the biggest YouTuber in the world, biggest solo YouTuber. There's some companies that have more. But prior to, being an exclusive YouTube streamer, he streamed on DLive. DLive TV is the largest streaming community on the blockchain. Now, it's a streaming platform, not unlike YouTube or Twitch, that uses the blockchain for its servers. I don't know. I'll show you again. I don't know exactly how it works, obviously. And I don't have a DLive account. But... Here's just one example of an application being built atop the blockchain. And when people talk about that, also, um, it's hard to wrap your head around what that means. Right. So are they using a DLive cryptocurrency? to? I think it's called Lemons or something. You know, every, every uh, streaming site has its own... You can cheer people on on Twitch. You cheer in bits. When Ninja was on Mixer, I forget what it was called, but Mixer had its own. So you buy sort of Twitch bucks and you reward your favorite streamers with Twitch bucks. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Sort of like Disney dollars when you go to Disneyland. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you have, I think the bits are one cent a piece. So let's say you you buy 500 bits for five bucks. Well, you're watching a stream and someone's playing a video game and they make an excellent shot. You can tip them 10 bits. You're giving them 10 cents. Like, that was a good play. And so is DLive just allowing you to tip someone in their own cryptocurrency? Or is DLive running all their servers on the blockchain? I don't know exactly how they're implementing. And I think that a lot of times these companies these days, you just put the word blockchain into your description just to get investors to invest in you or to 
So it doesn't matter how much you're incorporating the blockchain. If you're incorporating it in some aspect, people will be more interested than if you're just running a traditional, you know, server farm or something. That's true. And I think a lot of times people will use blockchain, at least from what I was what I've been told, uh, people using blockchain when just a simple database would work quite well, would probably mm -hmm. even work better than a blockchain because the blockchain is a little bit more complicated. But uh, a database would do just as well. Yes, they uh, uh, go ahead. But a blockchain, as you said, uh, sounds better. Yes. So what I liked about Cryptopia, going back to the movie, I got off on a tangent with that DLive stuff, is he had multiple perspectives. And he had Bitcoin evangelist. He had altcoin, which is when you make a cryptocurrency that's not a Bitcoin. So he had the founder of Litecoin come and talk. And in his first documentary, he had the founder of Ethereum. I think that guy is just probably too darn busy to have sat down this time, but six, five years ago, six years ago, he got him to talk on his first documentary and he used some of that archival footage. So the alternate coins that aren't Bitcoin, he had those people come and talk, but he also had people that were sort of Bitcoin naysayers and they have good points as well. Um, it's like, yeah, cryptocurrency, there are uses. I'm not saying it's a useless technology. What I'm saying is if you want to, pay 10 bucks for a pizza in cryptocurrency does it really need to be validated by a hundred thousand computers all across the globe or is that overkill so is cryptocurrency as a payment mechanism uh somewhat inefficient and that's kind of the fascinating thing the the pro the promise of bitcoin like this will be a payment system that's free from central banks this will be used across the world for the unbanked. This will be sort of setting people free financially. That's maybe lip service. And in reality, when one transaction has to be validated by 100,000 computers, and we see that the processing times of Bitcoin got really long, partly because of the block size, that was all covered, that controversy was covered in the, uh, the documentary. But is it really the most efficient way to, to have money? Well, I think I, I, that's true. And I think a lot of times uh, what's going to be happening in the future, much like the uh, uh, the electricity analogy, is that, yeah, uh, using using the blockchain like they do in Bitcoin uh, is not reasonable or practical with other applications. But that doesn't mean that the concept is still valid. Mm -hmm. And so the concept can be modified for different applications uh, and different areas. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's gonna, to me, that's what's gonna happen. So it's, the, I keep thinking of the concept of blockchain where you have security, you have vetting, uh, you have different types, you have uh, uh, information you have, and then we come to, to smart contracts uh, and then tokens. And so the concept can be used in so many places, uh, different ways. Mm -hmm. So, so even if even though maybe be not not applicable, it becomes burdensome in some areas. You can back off and redesign the concept uh, to be applied to other areas. Yes, and I think that this is why. Well, I guess I was getting into. I said this at the beginning, and then I got off track because it's so. And this documentary was so information dense 
that you get a million things thrown at you and you sort of get lost in how much is going on in the space. So going back to the thumbnail, we're just using the title. <laughs> Bitcoin, <laughs> the block blockchains, and the future of the internet. So Satoshi Nakamura, he wrote the white paper about blockchains for peer-to-peer currency, cryptocurrency transactions, or whatever. Well, a blockchain is just a ledger of accounts. And it's a, they describe it in the movie as invisible boxes where you can see what's in the box, but you can't get to the box. You need a key. So if you have the key, you own the asset that's inside the box. Well, people have taken the blockchain thing, which is an encrypted, decentralized uh, database, more or less, a ledger. And with Ethereum, the guy said, what if you could store not just the cryptocurrency in there, but you could store code, you know, snippets of code. So that's why all these applications, these non-fungible tokens, this, this stuff that is not Bitcoin, it gets built on the Ethereum blockchain. Because you can store code, you can store an image, you can store artwork, and you buy that when you make the transaction. Uh, and you can also run contracts, smart contracts, as a result of the, you know, the purchase, having that key to that safe deposit box that lives in a contract. You can do whatever contracts do, you know, agree on a strike price for a certain asset at a certain time, and then that validates, then you have the ability to do that. So it does threaten, with smart, the advent of smart contracts, a lot of the middlemen that validate contracts in the financial world, in the real estate world, um, in the, the auction process for commodities, a, a blockchain could step in as the de facto middleman, and it's a trustless system, and it could replace a lot of people who make a lot of money off of validating that both part, parties are legit. So then... T taking that to tokens, and then you have a token, mm -hmm. and, and the token can, can be used, uh, it represents a resource, uh, uh, maybe access, a token uh, can be access to what uh, the smart chain, uh, the smart contracts are doing within, within a, a wallet. Uh, the, the token then is a whole different concept. And a token is not just one definition. It could be a uh, it could be a whole array of definitions. And all it is is engaging uh, in the the uh, the assets within that box or mm -hmm. that that wallet. It's fascinating. It is fascinating. And they have. I mean, they talked about how the ability to do this was sort of the standards were formalized, and they had the founder of Ethereum, then they had the founder of the guy that made it easy to create your own token. And that led to a bunch of ICOs or initial coin offerings. And I thought they had a good lady to explain an IPO, an initial public offering, is when you start a company and you raise capital, you buy assets, you create a product or a service, and you sell that. And you have a customer base, and you have revenue, and you have income. And you have growth potential. And so you go to the public and you say, look at our company. Do you want to invest in this company so we can grow for the future? And initial coin offering is, you write a white paper that says, I have this idea. 
do you want to be part of this idea? And people give you millions of dollars, or at least in the gold rush times. So it opened itself up to more scams, the initial coin offering, than an IPO. Um, I think a good example of an IPO that didn't work was WeWork. They were the ones that were sort of like the Uber for office space. When they tried to go public, the, the reporting, the financial reporting requirements, I don't know the whole story, but they're more rigorous when you go public than when you're a private company. And financial analysts looked at the books and said, yeah, you may be on paper with your venture capitalists worth $10 billion, but we only see $500 million worth of value. So no, we don't want to invest at that price. <laughs> you're, you're, you're actually worthless. You know What the people have paid for you is, is too much. You are overbought, I suppose. Uh, with ICOs, there's really no valuation because the company doesn't exist. You're sort of betting on a whim and a prayer. And that opened it up for a lot of ICOs that were cons. Now, the movie does a good job of saying, yes, there were a lot of cons. And a lot of people got rich quick. You have an ICO, you raise one, two million dollars off of it. And then you say, I'm going to shut the project down. And that happened a lot. But there are people and they go to this place called Power Broker, I believe, in Australia. Did you remember this? Yes. Oh, yeah. I thought it was, that was impressive. It was impressive because it's just an idea that uses the blockchain to establish trust. And it's a real business, but it's not the type of business where you're going to make a billion dollars. I think everyone wants to swing for the fences. This lady, and they interview her, she said, you know, there's very little incentive for building owners to invest in solar or energy because that's a capital improvement that the tenants get the benefits of because it lowers their electricity bill, but they pay the power company. But what if the landlord paid the power company for everyone and then they charged their tenants for electricity themselves and it was all validated on the blockchain? It would, in, it would incentivize them to install solar panels so that the, the owner is generating electricity from the solar panels he paid for. He's allowing his tenants to buy that solar energy from him at a cost that's equivalent or less than what they would pay the power company. And then when the tenants are gone, he's allowed to sell that energy back to the grid. And so it incentivizes a building owners to install solar panels. And she says, yeah, we have real clients. We have, you know, it's like, why are you using the blockchain? It's good because it's a trustless system. The clients don't, the landlord can't screw over his tenants and the tenants can't, you know, take advantage of the landlord. It, it becomes a system where blockchain makes sense. And I think it's fascinating to see just a very practical application of blockchain technology used to accomplish something in the real world that actually benefits everyone. And I think, and as you as you pointed out, uh, it's an idea that uh, a landlord is not going to become extremely wealthy and multi-million or billion dollars, but it's just a good idea, mm -hmm. uh, and it works, and it it helps people, and it and it creates a community within his uh, his uh, with it within the the residents of his. Uh, of his uh, apartments, yeah, and it and it's a good idea, and it uses solar, and it's sustainable, and it's just kind of like a win-win kind of a thing. It's not it's not like an idea that that goes viral. It's just something that's a good idea, and it's a win-win for everyone mm -hmm. uh, on an ongoing basis. And uh, 
you know, the the lady, they had an office. They looked like they had 12 staff, 15 staff, whatever. And I'm sure that they make money from the solar power companies that they source from. They may have installation people that pay them a kickback when they get people to agree to this type of program. But it looked like the power broker uh, blockchain-based business, it wasn't a $100 million business, you know. It may not have even been an eight-figure business. Like it may not have been a tens of millions. It may have been a five, six, seven million dollar business, but it was a real business and it was built off the blockchain. And if you can have a business where you're selling in one city, in Melbourne or in, in Sydney, she was in Australia, where you're selling a service to people that makes sense, it's based on the blockchain, and you're not really trying to be the next Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, you're just saying, oh, this technology exists, I can do this with it. And I can have a comfortable living and have a staff of 10 or 15. And, and I'm, I'm changing the world a little bit, but I'm also changing it in a very concrete fashion. I'm not rewriting the rules. I'm just doing things in a slightly different, more efficient way with this new technology. I feel like those are the type of breakthroughs that will mainstream blockchain. And when you, when you watch the movie and see that application, you can't help but sit back and think, wow, how could that idea be multiplied in all different areas, mm-hmm. and and your it just your create you start your creativity starts just exploding. Yeah, like how many how many, what a great idea, and how many ways can this be applied uh, to help people all over the world? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you had the Bitcoin blockchain, which was explained by Satoshi Nakamura or whatever. <laughs> I just butchered his name. But then you had the the founder of Litecoin. He developed his own blockchain based upon the code. He sort of modified it. He was a Google guy. He started his own altcoin, which was called Litecoin. You have Ethereum, which allows smart contracts. So you have all this stuff going on. And it's interesting. Yesterday, you were saying, well, yeah, well, if we built a blockchain, what would it be? And the question is, should you build your own blockchain? Should you try to get people interested in your own uh Altcoin, should you build something on top of the Ethereum blockchain because that's established and there's users of it and there's decentralized nodes around the world and you can actually take advantage of an existing technology? Um, should you have a company? Should you start a coin? Should you you know, think of an idea where you could use the blockchain as your database? And those are all good questions, but it sort of reminds me of the question of, well, if I started a dot-com, it's 1999. I want to start a dot-com. What should we do? You know, Should we do you know, keyboards.com and sell keyboards. Y- yes, you can do that. That doesn't exist yet. But I will pose to you, this guy, 24-year-old guy, he fought Floyd Mayweather last night. And he made $20 million. It was his, it wasn't even a pro fight. It was an exhibition. He's had one professional fight in his career and he's 0-1. He fought the most famous boxer in the world and made $20 million. Now, why? Because of the internet. In the days of the dot-com boom, I don't think anyone could imagine that someone would leverage an app called Vine to get millions of followers, use those millions of followers on Vine to get millions of followers on YouTube, and then have a professional boxing match where he can make $20 million for 20 minutes of work. You know, eight rounds times three, that's what, 24 minutes. Um, No one would have thought that the internet would make that possible. But the thing is, he wouldn't have made a dime if it weren't for the internet, if he weren't a celebrity. So I think in the future, 
blockchain, you know, internet technology, it'll facilitate things that we didn't think possible. It's sort of like a butterfly effect. So right now we're sort of thinking maybe I should start a website or, you know, maybe I should run an internet service provider. Maybe I should be the next America Online. And then people say, well, I want to be the next Google or I want to be the next Facebook. But I think there's a natural evolution that occurs as these technologies that come out. And there's a gold rush. You look at, you know, the gold rush of 1849 in California. And a lot of the people that sort of tried to get the gold ended up penniless. But one thing that remains from that gold rush of 1849 is Levi Strauss and company. Because he went out to San Francisco and he said, you know what? I don't want to be a sucker with my pan in the river. I don't want to work in a mine. I'm going to source canvas, sew them into dungarees, and sell them to these miners. And these durable pants will make me millions of dollars. So he wasn't looking at the blockchain. He wasn't looking at Bitcoin. He was looking at what will people need if they start using this. He was looking at complementary products. And I think the more this technology develops, the more complementary avenues towards uh, taking advantage of it will become available. Uh, and also, the complementary, very, very good analogy, David, and it really applies well here. Uh, but also, it, it, it's more complicated. It, it's very complicated. It's like, uh, do you build something on it? Do you build, do you create what already exists and just change the application? Uh, do you use a, a different kind of a currency? Do you use currency in something that already exists? Uh, do you use tokens somehow uh, for uh, to replace different types of values? Uh, how do you define the value of a token? Mm -hmm. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And I think that the the uh, what 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 got me at the very beginning is the Bitcoin uh, as far as cryptocurrency and the value of money. And, uh, you know, what's the difference between a dollar uh, and a Bitcoin or uh, a dollar and uh, a cryptocurrency? Mm -hmm. And uh, I started thinking, backing up, uh, I'm not a financial guy. And I started thinking, yeah, I don't know enough about the concept of money uh, to understand how uh, you can use a Bitcoin, uh, all the different kinds of cryptocurrency that they start talking about how come one was different than another and how could how could one be used differently than another and how could one compete with another and it just opens up all different kinds of applications it's no longer just a dollar a yen and a and a deutsche mark it it's a whole world of digital currency mm -hmm. uh that that was like a, a metaphor for the blockchain applications as far as security uh, smart contracts. Uh, I think five, ten years from now, there's going to be something else on top of it, or something else uh, beside it. Yeah, I think right now in internet years, we're at like 1998. You know, Bitcoin is like Google. It might, it'll be around in 20 years. A lot of this stuff that you hear about won't. You know, I think there's a lot of Yahoos out there, and maybe Bitcoin is Yahoo. Mm -hmm. um, and Ethereum, because it's more durable or because the blockchain can handle code, is more like Google. Um, but Facebook hasn't been invented yet for the blockchain. Um, and but but then again, do you want to be the uh, the the uh, 
do you want to be the uh, internet that just has one fight, walk away with $20 million, mm -hmm. and let everyone else move on past you? <laughs> I mean, a lot of people are very happy with that. Well, uh, they, the, I mean, they the, get in, and their exit strategy is, is, I'll just make a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, Levi Strauss formed a business, and like people still work. There's a Levi store at our local mall. You know, because of what Levi Strauss did in the 1850s in San Francisco, someone in Golden, Colorado has a job at the local mall because Levi's is still a company. Well, right. there's also people that discovered giant gold nuggets in the stream. And they cashed those out and they bought a farm, you know, in the Imperial Valley. They would you'd move south and they, they farmed oranges or whatever. And you never heard of them again. But they used that money to sort of finance the life that they wanted. And are those people any worse off just because their name doesn't ring through history? Like, And then there, there were other people that sort of tried to get in on the gold rush and ended up penniless. They didn't find a damn gold nugget as hard as they tried. And that's that's what happens in gold rushes, right? Found a lot of, lot of pyrite, a lot of fool's gold. Mm -hmm. And uh, they tried to sell it, and all of a sudden they went broke, <laughs> you know? But does that mean you don't try? No, it doesn't yeah. mean you don't try. Because they probably had a story. Mm -hmm. They had a story to tell. You know, it's kind of like you you should go after, like the, the, uh, the guy in the, in the movie, he was saying, I just was passionate. I wanted to learn about this. And I learned. And well, it did do him well. But how many other people went down that path of learning and they didn't do as well as him? Uh, was that wasted? I don't think so at all. I think that... Uh, uh, you've learned more, you've learned a lot, and uh, you have a good story to tell. I tried it and it didn't work. Okay, what does that mean uh, that it was useless? Not at all, because so many things are built on failure mm -hmm. uh, that uh, who knows how that is going to help you today, tomorrow, in the future. Yeah. So, I mean, it's I guess what, oh, go ahead. I, I guess what I'm saying about that is that uh, uh, the Bitcoin, blockchain, the future of the internet, uh, this is something that pretty much everyone should look, look into and learn about because it's just something that's not going away and it's going to change our lives. It already is. Yes. Uh, it's just something you should always learn about because it's going to have value to everybody differently. Yes, uh, but at the end they made a very good point. They said blockchain is going to change the world. Uh, maybe not Bitcoin, but blockchain will. Just I think people are adopting it. Companies are spending hundreds of millions of dollars to sort of figure out, you know, how they can implement blockchain into their operations. It'll affect global supply chains. It'll it'll permeate the world. Now the thing is, blockchain will have changed the world when people open up their phone and they do something, and the blockchain runs and validates it all. And they have no idea that it's connected to a blockchain. You know, people don't need to understand how it works. People don't really understand how TCP IP works, the internet protocols, how IP addressing works, how IPv4, IPv6 works. They don't really understand how when you go to a website, you're actually contacting, um, you type in a domain name and that gets translated into a IP number and that IP number is assigned to a server somewhere that's running software, probably like an Apache server that sort of displays the website. People don't understand that. It doesn't matter how it works. 
the thing is that you can type in google.com and then find whatever you want and you click on it and it shows up. They don't need to know the nuts and bolts that there's a server farm somewhere in Arizona or, or God knows what, Utah or Australia that's showing, uh, you know, revealing to them this stuff that's holding those files that they're seeing. Uh, the technical aspects of it don't really matter. The internet's become a part of everyone's life because the technology's faded into the background and the usefulness has sort of arisen at a very easy level. But, yeah, that's true. I agree with you. But in addition to that, I say people still should learn as much as they can about it, whether they're going to be the people who actually push that horizon further or people can benefit from it and just use it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, uh, for like today, today even the internet, people who've never looked at the internet, they don't think about it, they, they don't know anything about it. Uh, well, it's part of our culture now. You have to use it, and even your smartphones, you have to use them. And if you've never ever learned anything about it, then you have no idea what it can do for you. Mm -hmm. uh, and you and you won't even try to embrace it because you don't understand it. And so you understand it sometimes not necessarily to promote or to uh, further the technology, but just to understand what it can do for you and use it. It, it becomes part of our society mm -hmm. uh, and part of the, the fabric of our culture. Yes. I also, sometimes knowing what's possible, if you want to be entrepreneurial, it just helps you realize, oh, um, like Etsy, you know, you know what Etsy is, where people sell their mm -hmm. knickknacks or eBay. Mm -hmm. I mean, people have built livings off of eBay. People, you make a living off of Etsy and it's just because it's like, okay, well, this selling on the internet thing is scary. Do I start my own website? Do I go to Squarespace and put in a store? No, there's a place I can go. And it's, you just have to be comfortable enough sort of having a system that you can trust, but then you can do what you do and people all over the world can see what you do. And it's, it's lower cost than saying, well, I'm going to go down to this strip mall and say, okay, this 500 square foot, 800 square foot retail location, I'll rent it out and I'll hang out my shingle and I'll just hope that the local community supports my handicrafts. And it's like, or you could hang out a shingle on the internet and you'll have a 5 billion person strong audience, potentially, that'll see your stuff. And it's not constrained by location or... So, I mean, that's sort of like, yes, you have to use the internet to get ahead. You can get ahead without the internet, but it's a lot harder. Now, I think that a lot of times when people will use blockchain, it'll be set up and it's sort of like Etsy. People don't need to understand computer programming to start an Etsy site. They go through the sure. steps that Etsy provides for them. So I think that people will build things on the blockchain and it'll be useful to people that have no knowledge that it's built on the blockchain. That's right. That's right. And and like uh, there, there's going to be applications already there mm -hmm. that that uh, uh, the blockchain is in the background, in the back office, and that that's connecting it. And at the front end, the user interface, you really don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, do you need to know? No. But uh, but on the other hand, if you do know, it just you understand what's happening in your transaction a little bit better and what can and can't be done. Mm -hmm. 
it's just it's just getting part getting used to your environment. So, yeah, I know I they um, just the blockchain itself, the applications of blockchain is just uh, you just look at applications of blockchain and here's 30 blockchain applications of real world use cases. And there's there's companies that have already been started. There's dozens and dozens of companies that have used blockchain in all different areas in in um, in music, uh, in healthcare, uh, in real estate, uh, in the medical field, it's just just in supply chain and everywhere. And uh, so, the um, and the, and these are not just people who think it can be used. These are people who actually started companies within these areas. Yeah, it's it's fascinating, and. Uh... I think the thing about it is some people start companies where the blockchain is a central technology to what they do. Some people start tech companies that are just like any other company and the blockchain is a buzzword to help them get funding. <laughs> That's true. I, I think both exist. And the problem is when you think of blockchains and you think of Bitcoin, you think of Ethereum and cryptocurrency and and it's, it's a very broad topic. Um, and so Bitcoin is different than blockchain. And cryptocurrency is different than blockchain. And the applications that will be, get built using blockchain as their database, I mean, blockchain may replace MySQL or NoSQL or MongoDB or whatever is being used to run databases on the back end of a website. Um, but that those have played a role in your life every single day. And how much do you know about MySQL or NoSQL or MongoDB or MariaDB? You don't really know anything about them. A lot of people don't. That's right. So if blockchain replaces them, it'll be seamless. You won't even know that it's running on the blockchain. Uh, I mean, people don't know that their information that goes into a website is stored in a database. People aren't even at that fundamental level of understanding. So if you switch from a a MySQL-based system to a blockchain-based system for validation of data, uh, validation of transactions. Uh, that's not going to fundamentally change the end user's experience, but it might help you get funding. Because you say, oh, I'm not going to run the validation or the transaction processing on uh, with a credit card merchant. I'm going to do it on the Ethereum blockchain. People say, oh, let me give you money to develop your idea. Now, true. I think the true ideas that will rise to the top are the ones that actually leverage the blockchain to be more efficient. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. More efficient, more secure, uh, that that's scalable, uh, scalable with their security mm -hmm. and efficiency. We've seen the problem uh, with scalability. Uh, then you you sacrifice security uh, with uh, like the Internet. Uh, but the blockchain is scalable. Mm -hmm. uh, that that's really big. And even though the user may not understand that, but uh, the characteristics uh, of the initial security uh, and your your information is protected, uh, and the transactions are are valid and secure, that you say, oh, it's still there, even though the company has scaled up. Mm -hmm. And so you don't want that that value of that user experience to change as you scale uh, or as you. Uh, as you uh, move to other other applications and connect uh, with other other types of supply chains, other types of uh, network chains or uh, internet chains or uh, different different type of networks. 
you don't want that user interface to change. Yeah. So you don't want to compromise it. So there's so many things that they, they, they can uh, they can be very valuable. So before we go, because we're almost at an hour, I want to talk about the mountainside bunker. Yeah, I didn't totally understand. I think you understood that better than I did. I still don't get the mountainside bunker. So here's a Forbes article. Oh, hold on. Let me fix this. Here's a Forbes article about a different company called Volt, V-O-1-T. And they have a bunker, too, where the crypto keys of very wealthy individuals are held. It's saying that in 2018 alone, $1.1 billion uh, the first half of cryptocurrency was stolen in kidnappings, armed robberies, blackmail attempts. Um, this guy had his house broken into. His family was held at gunpoint, tied up his girlfriend, and made him disclose the location of a Bitcoin. So Bitcoins basically live on uh, your keys. They live on a hard drive or they live on a thumb drive. So if it's on your laptop and your laptop's connected to the internet, if someone hacks your computer, they could find the key to your vault. If they have the key, they have your money. So what these companies do is they put uh, the keys in cold storage. Um, now, my question is when they visited, they had this server bay and like, this is like the actual where the Bitcoin is held, but this isn't actually it because they went into this mountainside bunker. And my question is, why do the machines need to be powered on? <laughs> uh-huh. Um, I, I don't know. And it's like, oh, we have seven generators for redundancy. And it's like, why? Uh, I don't know. That's just my... I don't know, but this company charges $25,000 or $33,000 annually, along with a $33,000 setup charge and a fee of 0.01 to 0.06% on withdrawals. It says it can move your keys out of cold storage in as little as 30 minutes. So that's why the machines stay powered on. You have a billion dollars in Bitcoin. And you say, okay, it's secure in this vault. No one's going to come and kidnap me and demand that I go to the vault, you know. And you call them up and you say, okay, I need $2 million in Bitcoin. They say, okay, let us take it from cold storage and put your key so that you can use it into your hands, I suppose. That's, uh, that's why the machines are powered on in case someone calls and needs to, to make a withdrawal. And, yeah. then it, and it's funny because it's like... You know what that sounds an awful lot like? A bank. <laughs> That's right. We were and talking about that. And last they time. say like, oh, Bitcoin will be the end of banks. Once you know the security uh, is decentralized, you know, once currency is decentralized, we won't need banks. It's like it sounds like what it happened was it created the need for banks. The value got so large that it created the need of protecting uh, the the uh, you know, protecting your assets with banks. Mm-hmm. It's the same as a bank. It's exactly the same as a bank, isn't it? So instead of instead of the money, you have your keys. Mm-hmm. Your your keys to your wallets is the is the bank. Now, uh, access to the money. 
Now you see with the smart contracts, unlike Bitcoin, which is just the currency, you could see how people could start saying, oh, we'll hold 100 million in Ether and we'll guarantee your deposits, but you deposit here and we'll invest the Ether in money-making schemes like a bank does. And we'll get a return on the investment. We'll keep your Ether safe. We'll insure it with our Ether. But you do invest here and we'll try to make money on money. With, with, I mean, once, once a form of cryptocurrency becomes less volatile, you use it as an investment mechanism. You put it into bonds and stocks and you try to like, and then basically, yeah, cryptocurrency has replaced the dollar, but it's basically become a dollar where people are trying to make money off of money. It's currency. Mm -hmm. And as currency, it'll be used as currency. Uh, and then you're creating your a whole new uh, financial uh, uh, universe around that currency. Um, and then one final thing before we go. I can't talk about a movie without criticizing it a little bit. <laughs> okay. The movie was good. Um, a very information dense. It's the type of thing where you could watch it multiple times. Right. I do think the Torsten, let me get his name right because he worked hard on this. <laughs> Hold on. Um, what's his name? Torsten Hoffman, the writer and director, I believe, of this. He did a good job. And I liked the graphics. I thought it was kind of cool how he was able to travel all over the world. Shanghai, Australia, Argentina, the U.S. And sort of show that this is a global thing. Um, and so with an estimated budget of... What, did, what IMDb estimates the budget at? About $400,000. He made this uh, hour and a half documentary that's very good. But I got to criticize one thing about it. Um, sometimes there were interview segments and the score would play and it was doo -doo 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 -doo, and a drum set would come in. And I don't like drum sets when people are talking. I think it's distracting. And so I found that that piece of score, I would have used something totally different. Well, David, your your that's your area. That's mm -hmm. your forte. Uh, you can. I think if you were in charge of the soundtrack of that movie, mm -hmm. uh, I I don't think I know it would be much much better because you you would you would have the soundtrack that would enhance uh, what was being said and the conversations. Instead of being distracted. But the thing uh, is, the, the guy could have made the score and given them a bunch of cues. And it was the editor that decided to put that piece of score in. Mm. So it might have just been. Which which is a good point. Uh, the, the editing, uh, along with the score, uh, needs to need to work together. Yes. So I, I don't the, know. The audio engineer. You don't really want to uh, bash the composer. Or they may have, they, there may not have been a composer. They may have just gotten stock sound. Uh, true. Maybe so. Because I don't know. And that may, 
That may be probably with four hundred thousand dollars. Maybe that is what they did. Yeah, it's difficult to hire a bespoke composer to put a score to this. So I think that they may have grabbed because you can grab blips and blops of music from production libraries, and I just think what they chose for the voiceover segments was um, a little bit distracting. So Torsten, I will score your third film on cryptocurrency. Um, just give me a call. I'll at you uh, on Twitter after we finish this podcast. Just so you know, I'll try to drum up some work for myself. If you make a third documentary, let me know. I'll help you do the score. Well, I've seen, I've seen and heard the stuff you've done, and it, David, it's awesome. I think you shouldn't be bashful or shy at all to throw your name out there because if you did something like that, people would see it would be it would be quality stuff. Mm-hmm. Big but, quality job. But I don't want to, I mean, I don't want to throw the editor. I'm sure Torsten may have edited it himself. Mm-hmm. And I, that's just a little critique. It's just, there was drums during interview segments, and it's like, oh, man, it t- sort of distracts me because I start listening to the drums. Because drums have a very good way of sort of cutting through all the other sounds. So, I, I mean, I would have suggested more, you know, like ringing like whole note chords or something, you know, with, with no drums. Uh, well, I think I think you saw that. I think most people would never even see that. I I didn't notice that. And uh, when you mention it, then I'll say, oh yeah, I didn't even notice that. So uh, it doesn't really take away it doesn't take away from the movie for the most people. Uh, but what you're talking about is subtle things that that can just improve the quality of the movie from time to time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most people won't even notice it. Uh, and if they did notice it, it'd be more, uh, more, more, uh, it wouldn't be overt. It'd be mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, I didn't even realize, oh yeah, that was, that was a, you don't even know it's happening. Yes. You? <laughs> but I will say, so i made a critique. I will say on the, the positive side, the graphics I thought were cool. The digital lock boxes, the safety deposit boxes, the, the way that they did titles, that sort of emerged, like they'd have drone shots of every city when they'd be there, and they'd have a title card, like, emerge in 3D space. Someone who was in charge of graphics on that movie, and I don't have the credits in front of me, but uh, someone was was very talented. Well, first of all, it was about, it was technology. And what I liked a lot about that is they would have London, they'd have Sydney, they would have Shanghai, and they would have a line come up, a line come up with a name, and underneath that had the latitude, longitude mm-hmm. on the world, on the earth. Yeah. And just you think, oh, I, I really like that. And who would like that? People who know numbers, people who know geography, people and who's watching it, people who know numbers, people who like that kind of thing. And I think that was that was brilliant. I think it was very I really I really like that because mm-hmm. it, it was a transition uh, when you went from one place to another to another, I thought that was excellent. Yeah, I'm Very looking. Well at, I'm looking at the IMDb now. They did have a composer, Joshua Ketty, and he also did sound design. So I think on a lot of these small productions, and so I thought the sound design was good. Um, mm-hmm. And the score was was fine. I mean, I, I enjoyed his score. It's just the, some, there were some cues during the interviews that used drums that I didn't like. I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. I'm sure this guy is a fantastic musician, you know? That's why he was chosen. Uh, but I want to give a special shout-out to the animation department. 
Oh, it was excellent. Yes. Um, I really do think that using animation and using the the 3D digital lock boxes and sort of showing the blockchain, you know how they'd show it sort of growing towards the sky and mm-hmm. sort of illustrate block size? Mm-hmm. I think that was really one of the most elucidating and helpful parts of the movie for someone that's a visual learner to say, block size, what's that? And they sort of showed the blocks coming together, you know, how one validates the next and it forms a block. And, and making that an animation and the work that they did on those animations, it made it very clear the concepts they were trying to expose. And I think that that was one of my favorite parts of the movie. A large, and also the people listening to this are going to be are going to be quantitative type people, and linear learners. And linear learners will think, uh, uh, like you're saying, visual learners. Mm-hmm. When they see those images, they can tie that back into concepts much easier. And uh, I think that was well done too. Yes. So I think as we close, because we're at an hour, I just want to say this movie, Cryptopia. I never remember the title. Bitcoin, blockchains, and the future of the internet. Directed by Torsten Hoffman. It's very good. And there's a lot of information in here. And a lot of the information is useful. A lot of the perspectives are diverse. There's people who say, I think things should be this way. And there's people who say, I think things should be the other way. And Torsten, although he's a filmmaker, not a journalist, really does a good job of exposing differing viewpoints from very credible sources on either side or on the multiple, the myriad sides. Um, the filmmaking is good. The interview subjects are great. And I, the animation, I think, was spectacular, sort of demonstrating concepts that are difficult to understand visually. So I would recommend it to anyone who's interested in cryptocurrency, anyone who's interested in Bitcoin, or anyone who's interested in blockchain. And that's all I have to say about that. And the future of the Internet. And yeah. I think it's a kind of movie you have to watch there's, it's so chuck full of information mm-hmm. that you really do have to watch it more than once just to get to get if you watch it multiple times you get something new every time because they go in deep and they talk about people doing this it it was it was very stimulating yes i will say that this is one of the few documentaries where it's an hour and a half it could have been two and a half hours it could have been three hours with the same information it's you're going to get a lot out of it And it also took us about two and a half hours to watch because we would pause (laughs) it and sort of discuss some of the things that we're saying because it's so information dense that, yes, it gives you background, but I think it comes from a little bit of an expert's perspective. Or I I mean, I love a 90-minute running time, but this is such a dense subject and he does so much coverage of it. And it's all there. It just, if you're not initiated into the subject matter, it's difficult to get it all on a first watch. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. But it, it was very entertaining. Uh, it was educational. And it was enjoyable. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot. So, yeah, I have the music playing. Okay. Are we ready to, are we, are we ready to uh, uh, have the tagline? Yes. Let's wrap it up and get the hell out of here. Let's go. Hey, Sons of Sequoia podcast. We always say keep on talking. But listen more than you talk and try to understand what the other person is saying. Bye. Bye.